Welcome everyone to Remembering Conference Cantatas. My name is Mike Livermore and joining me is my close friend and co-host Sam Taylor. Sam, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm delightful, Mike. How are you doing, bud? Sam, I'm, I'm wonderful. I am really excited, really pumped up to talk about this first cantata in 2002. So this is our first full episode, Sam. This is our, our first attempt. We're kind of figuring it out, seeing how it goes. Not at all unlike the cantata, the choir that year at conference. It was the first one. Nobody was sure how it would go. It obviously was a spectacular success. It was a wonderful a choir and still is powerful today. So hopefully our podcast will go at least a fraction of how well uh, that cantata went in 2002. So this cantata this year, 2002, the study was on Joseph and the theme verse came out of Genesis chapter 37, verse 16, the key phrase being, I seek my brethren. When Joseph was looking for his brothers and along the way, someone asked him what he was looking for. And he said, I seek my brethren. Uh, the workbook that year was written by Dan Wilton and Mark Carr. And I actually completed part one of the workbook. I didn't wind up going that year. But I remember how powerful the study was and how many lessons there were. We're going to talk about those later on. But it was a wonderful study and it really impacted a lot of people for good. Now, Sam, you and I, we've both have accepted a rule here that our podcast, we're only going to record for years that either you or I or maybe a third guest actually attended the conference that year. So technically, none of us attended that year. I actually don't know how old you were in 2002, Sam. Did you have a, did you have a driver's license in 2002? I did not have a driver's license. So 2002, I, I had been I was baptized that year. Uh, I was baptized. Let's see, February of 2002. I was 14 when I was baptized. Uh, I turned 15 in June of that year. So uh, no, I I was fresh out of my freshman year of high school. When wow. I uh, when I went there that when I well I didn't go there but when um, when that youth conference was held I was high school I was a baby Sam I was also baptized in two thousand two in June nineteenth two thousand two so you are older than me in Christ Sam I I never knew that maybe I did and I forgot but that's kind of cool we were both baptized the same year and I would hope that you remember that and you remember to respect your elders. Okay. <laughs> I will try, my friend. I will try. Uh, so, so getting back to youth conference that year. So, uh, yeah, I was baptized in June 2002 and wound up canceling going to conference some period in that summer. I think it was in July. I wound up canceling. But I had done the entire first part of the workbook. And the workbook that year, you know, 85% of it was part one, and it was all of the exposition from beginning to end. And then part two, which I never finished, was more like in-depth practical discussions and, and more examining in-depth, like the, the meaning and symbology taking place in Joseph's life. So I didn't tackle that last more in-depth part, but I nonetheless completed the full exposition. And also, a sort of a bit of a fun fact for 2002, after youth conference that year, a whole bunch of the young people came back to Detroit, back to where I live in Michigan, and they wound up realizing that there was a critical mass of choir singers and all the key players were there. They actually put on the cantata again in Detroit on the Friday after youth conference. Wow. And so I was able to get off of work at age 19, newly baptized in the Livonia Hall 
and it was maybe one third the number of singers as the big cantata at conference. But I nonetheless heard a modified version, which I think was all the songs, but just a smaller group of singers. I mean, I heard the Joseph cantata live. That was my first cantata and it was absolutely transformative. So nonetheless, I feel I can speak with some competence on what this cantata was like at that year and with those people and about the study. And I got to tell you, it, it moved me. I was never the same again. I remember hearing the cantata and I didn't have regret over not going because I don't think I was quite ready for conference. But when I heard that cantata, I was nonetheless incredibly motivated. And I said to myself, I have to be there in 2003. It made me realize how special of a thing Manitouan Youth Conference had. And I had to be there the next year. Okay, so now we're going to talk about going back to 2002. Uh, what the state of Christadelphian music was at the time, because you know some people may look at this this cantata and say, oh, that the technical recording quality wasn't as good as it is now. It's, it can be a little bit fuzzy. You, you hear background noise, and it's maybe by today's you know audio standards, there could have been you know better equipment or gear production back in two thousand two. But at the time, it was groundbreaking. Nothing like this had existed yet. And when this hit, when the Joseph Cantata was released for people to listen to, it had a huge effect. But I'm wondering, Sam, if you could maybe give us your thoughts on the state of Christadelphian music in 02 and, and how powerful this cantata was because of that. Yeah, I, I think that's, uh, I, I think you ask a significant question. Uh, 2002 for Christadelphians, uh, that was the year when the, uh, that was the year when the green, what we call the green Christadelphian hymn book was, uh, widely published and widely spread among, uh, the various ecclesias worldwide. Yes. Um, and, and with that, you know, you're, you're, um, any Christadelphian music that came about were either, uh, old English Protestant hymns that were modified. Uh, you had very few which were actually written by Christadelphians. You, you the the mo most um, the one I think about a lot is uh, hymn four hundred five, uh, which was written by Islip Collier, uh, who who wrote the book uh, Principles and Proverbs. Uh, he was a Christadelphian writer who uh, wrote the hymn for four hundred five. That's that's the one that uh, that last line goes. We know the end. We know the way. With some with life he will endow, shall we be with him in that day? We make the answer now. And it's a poignant hymn, and it's and it's definitely got that uh, Christadelphian flavor of what our hope is. Um, but a lot of them, you know, we we borrow a lot from the uh, other denominations, and there's very few. I mean, uh, Sister Julie Anderson's uh, Hannah's song was in there for the first time, and um, and when you're going through the hymn books, of course, you know they're they're meant for just people who can follow along to a melody for the most part. So you've got, you know, you know, it's usually a four line uh, verse, you know, three or four verses to a hymn and it's followed. It's the same key. It's the same tempo. There's not really a whole lot that surprises you. Um, with the 2002 uh, cantata, well, that changed. That changed because it showed that there was uh, there was a void in our community for the unique expression of our hope, and you know that's something that we 
I don't know if pride is necessarily the right word, but it's something that we cherish, that we we cherish our hope so distinctly. And we, you know, we try to express that how we can. We express it in our exhortations. We express it in our behaviors. Uh, and we express it in our thanksgiving. And, and, and singing songs, singing praise to God is a form of thanksgiving. And, and this was really one of the times when, you know, we had this new recording which came out which showed the Christadelphian hope according to biblical teachings using biblical, you know, like purely straight out of the, you know, King James for a lot of these uh, songs, you know, straight out of the Bible explaining these. That, yeah. You know, uh, a lot of people wouldn't have known that until, for me personally, the first time that I heard songs that were sung straight from scripture like that um was probably when I heard the band Sons of Korah, but that was two thousand. That was three years later when I heard that. And and, and Dan Osborne and, and Daryl Rose and everybody who's written all these cantatas, you know, they they did this several years earlier. So there was this suddenly this realization that there is a huge void in our community of being able to uniquely express our hope in the language and in the in the style that um, you know really. Uh, shines a light on our heritage, on our culture, and on our uh, hope. Yeah, it, it was a wonderful thing. And looking back to 2002, I know at the time, in the 90s, there were a few like high-quality Christadelphian CDs or albums released. There were several in Australia. You could think of like Our Blessed Hope, I believe, and One Faith, One Love. Like, there were some recordings out there where it was really good, spiritual music but a lot of those cds they they were for a broad audience and the songs cover all different kinds of topics past present future different tones different lessons and so those were wonderful i've listened to those a lot very great grateful for those but there was nothing quite like these cantatas which are these very topic specific choirs with narrations which bring out the lessons and really focus your thoughts on like one story or one character and all the lessons associated with it, there was nothing quite like this. So even though there there were, I think there were the beginnings of some good Christadelphian music getting out there online or via CD, like even uh, like the, the website seekthelord.com, like James D and Todd Lindeblad's website, they were kind of gathering and putting out music. There was nonetheless nothing quite like a cantata. No, and, 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 you know, to your point, you know, I think sometimes we look back at 2002 and, and we look at it with the, um, you know, with the technology we have. And yes, we did have online technology, but in order for people to have access to these music, they still had to physically buy the CDs. These CDs had to be manufactured and produced yeah. and shipped from Canada, you know, to all different parts of the world. So, you know, for a lot of these people, you know, you, you weren't hearing the actual cantata after you sang it until, in, in fact, I remember for a good chunk of it, it was the Easter gathering, which was usually uh, the place where uh, a lot of the people got their CDs. So you would sing it in July or sorry, no, you would sing it in August. Sing it in August. Yes, August. And, and you wouldn't hear it again until April. Um, yeah. So, so, I mean, there was also, there's also that element too, which is, you know, when you have something so tightly associated with a specific week and a specific memory, all of a sudden, you know, after not listening to a long time, uh, it, it comes flooding back 
it, uh, you know, the memories come flooding back, lessons come flooding back, the friendships come flooding back. And, and, you, and you realize that this was a week in your life, which hopefully for a lot of the people who attended, you know, this, this, this week was the kind of catalyst, which sparked a fire that for a lot of people never went out in their lives spiritually. Uh, a lot of people would come out of this um, time and get, uh, you know, baptized shortly after from youth conference. And the cantata was sort of an emotional um, icing touchstone on sort of, thing. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Touch note to it's a good phrase um, to, to really emphasize the significance of it, not just as a, you know, not just following the euphoria of, of this nice feeling, but just realizing that the gospel uh, is transformative in your life. The, the gospel can change you when you apply the lessons to it. And these songs were uh, a, a further distilling, a, a, a distillment of these lessons that people spent months uh, looking into and and reading and 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 echoes of that remain today all these years later. Absolutely, and in fairness to uh, to this cantata, I actually think this one the CD was released around December January. I want to actually say I got mine at Attica and just just destroyed the CD. I mean, just consumed. I, I actually pulled out my old CD to listen to it in preparation for this podcast and it was all scratched up i had to re-download some songs uh yeah when these cds hit they were very powerful for the community and so th just thinking back a little bit more context of the, the the conference in 2002 i didn't wind up going as you mentioned before but several of my friends went that year a lot of my contemporaries and i remember them coming back with stories and they were very powerfully moved by this year I believe the the year prior at Conference 01 was a very rainy, sort of dark and gray year. Uh, one of my friends went that year and never went back to conference because it was just so rainy and it just it was kind of not a great experience for him. And so I think conference had a little bit of a, a below average year before this year. And then this year hit with this study, this workbook this choir and cantata and that group of people. And it was just one of those magical years that impacted so many people. And even me who didn't attend, I was impacted indirectly by all the good this conference did. So it was a really wonderful year. So here's a few facts about the cantata as we wrap up the context section here. Uh, this cantata has 18 tracks. It's an even split of nine songs and nine narrations. Total play length is just over 40 minutes, so it's perfect for a long commute or a, a mile or two walk. Uh, it's a, a really good amount of time. You can listen to the whole thing, start to finish. Uh, in terms of some of the songs and where I have them ranked, it's actually, to me, in my opinion, a very deep cantata, a lot of good songs. To, in my analysis, six of the nine songs from this cantata are in my top 70 rankings. So there's a lot of good songs in this cantata. Now, only two though, make my top 40. And I, I think my explanation for this is that you can sort of tell, as I mentioned before, how the, the technical audio quality 
is a little bit lagging. Uh, like the songwriting is wonderful. The vocal talent is phenomenal. But maybe the gear or the equipment, the microphones they had, the editing, the post-production they had, you can sort of tell it was they were still learning, still developing that part of the cantata process. So as a fun story, about a decade ago, I made for a long road trip a youth conference greatest hits playlist. And you could always tell when a song from O2 was about to come on because the volume of like the background fuzz sort of jumps up a volume or two. But nonetheless, there is one song from this cantata that makes my top 10, which we'll discuss. So it's a it's a good, deep cantata with lots of good songs and one superstar, superstar song. The director this year was Dan Osborne. I think he composed most of the songs, if not all. And I, I think the piano player was Linda Kilgis, Nellinda Wilton. It may have been Ruth Stiles, but I, I want to say it was Linda. I'm not 100% sure. And the narrator was Pete Stiles. All right. So Sam, do you have any other things on the context or background or information on the cantata? No, I think you've I think you've covered a lot of it. You've got a lot of personal experience with that. I don't have the uh, the personal experience really with the cantata. Uh, my my experience kind of comes up uh, in one of our later topics, which is going to be dealing with the uh, the present impact and the campfire impact. That's really where my my uh, experience comes to the fore with this uh, cantata. Wonderful. Okay, so before we get to the awards for the cantata, I'll maybe just mention the the six songs that make my top 70 are Mighty or Far, very underrated song. Love that song. Then As For Me and My House, the, uh, the all-female song. Then As Gold, which has a beautiful section in the middle that we'll discuss. Then The Wings of the Morning. Then Be Not Grieved. And the sixth and final song, which is the camp hymn, is, of course, I Seek My Brethren. Okay, so now let's get to the awards, Sam. So the first one is the best song at the time. And I'm just going to come out and say it. We could, we could discuss a few other suggestions, but I Seek My Brethren, the camp hymn at the time, was with, without a doubt, is the best song at the time. I remember when I heard the, the the partial cantata on the Friday after youth conference, true story afterwards, I was downstairs at the Livonia Hall playing foosball with Mike Jackson. We're talking about the songs. I said, man, that camp hymn, it was so good. I want to hear it again. And Mike said, yeah, we would jam every night to that song. Like, so he, he loved the song then. I loved it. I think there's no question. It is the best song at the time. But what are your thoughts, Sam? I would have to say I Seek My Brethren is is probably the uh, the song. If I had to say the best song at the time, I mean, it's, it's definitely the one which resonated with a lot of people and carried over. You've got to have a um, – it, it's got to have a good mix of being both, uh, you know, catchy uh, and have fond memories associated with it and, a good, and, and, and you know, deep and, you know, insightful lyrics. You've got to have a good combination of all of those to be a song that it sticks out to you after the camp, and then it sticks out enough that you want to be able to hear it after the camp is you know done long afterwards. So I'd probably say I'd probably agree with you. I seek my brethren would be if I had to say would be the would be the one that uh, sticks out the most. Okay, so we agree on the first award. The next one though is the best song today. So you're in your car now, you're at home, wherever, 
in a different environment, different context. What is the best song today? What are some of your suggestions, Sam? Oh, as gold, as gold, as gold. Good. Yeah. I do love that one. It's, it's got, I mean, and we'll talk about this. It's got musical complexity, which, um, you know, Dan is a, you know, a very talented composer in his own right. He he's, you know, he's not afraid of deviating from the standard chord progressions in music theory, which kind of, you know, make, which makes a song popular and catchy like some, like some other popular songs. And it doesn't take away from those songs that might be more simple in structure. Uh, it doesn't take away from them at all. But when you hear a complex and beautiful song, you know, it can really, it, it, it paints a picture, uh, and I think that's why, for me, As Gold is the song that stands out for me as my preferred song for a road trip is because we're just being in the car. It's the song that, when I'm listening to it, paints the picture of the principle for me as I'm driving. Yeah, and as you mentioned, the, me- the, the message of the song is so great. It comes from a, a, a verse in Job where Job could look at the sufferings he was going through and say, when he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. He could see the end of what he was going through. So it's a beautiful lesson. And I think the tone of the song matches that sort of contemplative, reflective view of the difficulties we face. It's it's a wonderful song, wonderful song. Uh, a suggestion I have besides as gold is the wings of the morning. Yes. Inspired by Psalm 139. And, I I feel like if, if somebody came to me and said, give me one song from Miss Cantata, it was like a, a, more of a music critic, so really give me a song that impresses me musically, I would give them this song. But you add on top of the excellent music and songwriting, like the meaning of the song and the lesson that that God is with us wherever we go, it, it's it's got everything. I, I'm going to suggest this one as a nominee too. I'm with Did you, you have any others, Sam? Uh, did I have any others? I mean, As Gold is the one that's that's sticking with me uh, particularly strongly right now because I I listen I gave a listen to the cantata before we uh, hopped onto this episode here. So this is the one that just stands out to me right now. So this is why we need a third guest on some of these episodes because how are we going to make this decision? You got As Gold, I've got Wings of the Morning. Why don't we call it a tie? They're both exceptional songs that are meaningful and beautiful. I say we give this award to both songs. Mm, I'm okay with that. All right. And now finally, we have the best campfire song. So this is your area of expertise, Sam. You've, in recent years of youth conference, you sort of led the campfire. You get out there with a ukulele or guitar. So what, in your opinion, was the best campfire song from this cantata? So this is one of those uh, questions where it depends on the attendees. Um, the thing about the campfires is that, as you, you know, depending on what kind of veterans were there, you've got this sort of cultural memory of people who still love the camp hymns from the year that they were there. Um, you know, um, I'd say probably up until about 2016, 2017, well, probably 2016, I'd say that I Seek My Brethren was great. And I mean, yes. it, it's, it's, it's an awesome one. I, you know, I still, I love the song, but there's this one particular chord that if you're a guitarist and you're playing, it's, it's the line just before 
the uh, they you go into the into the uh, refrain that that part where it goes I seek my brethren. Just before that, there's this chord where you really have to warp your fingers in an unnatural way. And uh, I've I've got small hands. It's why I play ukulele. I, I cater to my strengths. Um, but the, the only person I've seen really just like handle this chord like he owned it. And, and I just have fond memories of this is watching Jay Mayock because uh, he has you know very long spindly yeah. fingers. You know, if, if, if you're if you're well, I mean, if you're familiar with a for, for those of you out there who um, are familiar with pianists, uh, you know, if you're familiar with the pianist Rachmaninoff, I think I butchered that pronunciation, but it was this pianist who had such a huge span that he could that he could cover more in a full scale. I mean, Jay's hand's able to just really get on top of it and, and contort in these positions. He's very talented with it. Uh, so shout out to Jay. Um, I just have a lot of fond memories of that. Um, but you know, later on though, when I was, when I was the old man in camp, um, that's, I, I remember playing that song and people were just looking at me and it was, it was kind of not demoralizing, but it was sort of like, you know, my time has passed. And that was, that was sort of the time when I realized I need to find an apprentice. Um, anyway. Yeah. You know, you, you can't judge you can't expect these these camp songs to last forever. Like yeah. younger generations aren't going to know them as well as we did, obviously. But nonetheless, I think though in the in the one to five years following "I Seek My Brethren," it was absolutely a staple of the campfire, and I think it's a perfectly suited song for the campfire setting. It isn't too difficult of a song. A lot of good rhyming in there. It's easy to remember. And, and the lesson of the song is such a great thing to do in a group. Uh, to me, it, it's a blowout, actually. I think the best campfire song by a mile in this cantata is I Seek My Brethren. And rightfully so, it's the camp hymn. Yeah. Do you have any objections to that award, Sam? Uh, any objections to the award? No. I will say, though, that I, I think if there was, I mean, if you had a dark horse, if you had, if you had, um, if you had a third person here to kind of, who had the context of being there for the camp, or just somebody who is, you know, very familiar with the songs as you and I are, um, you know, Mightier Far is a also uh, very solid, underrated campfire, you know, song that people enjoy singing. It's catchy. It's got a good hook. Um, I enjoy it quite a bit. Um, and, and it's made its appearance on, you know, other uh re-recordings of Christadelphian albums. So it's, it's mightier far would be a dark horse, but I mean, a dark horse is just that it's a dark horse. um, I seek my brethren is going to be the winner by a long shot. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned mightier far. I remember one year at conference on the boat ride home on the Chichimon, I think James D had his guitar out and he played that song for the people singing on the boat. And it really was beautiful in that setting. So yeah, maybe an underrated campfire song, mightier far. All right. Now let's go to the award for best moment, Sam. And I've got three suggestions here, which I'm going to actually play little clips of. Okay. So my first suggestion is the, this middle section of As Gold, you referred to it earlier. It's where the piano drops out and there's just this acapella separation. I don't know what the technical term would be, but where like the pattern of the song shifts and they, they break the pattern and go into this, this acapella uh, change up of the verses. So here, here is the clip. 
Yeah, that bridge section is gorgeous. And that's the part I'm talking about when I'm talking about something that paints a picture because you have um, in in music, um, you, you have this concept called dissonance where you have, we think of a chord and most for, for most major minor chords, uh, the notes are evenly spaced out and they you hear it as like, okay, that's a chord and that makes sense. It sounds it, it, it's, it sounds fine to your ears. Now when you have something with dissonance, you've got um, two notes which are uh, they don't necessarily fall in the same they're, they're very close to each other in the scale and there's sort of, sort of this conflict in the between the two notes and what happens is that a a good composer like for example what dan would do is that he's going to use the dissonance to underlie underscore the uh the, the inner conflict of the of the actual melody of the actual notes in the words in the song He's going to use this dissonance to kind of underscore that conflict but then what happens is there's um what makes dissonance so good uh, is that you know that there's resolution coming, and it's when the di- when the dissonance comes and the and the various parts shift back into notes that fall into the uh, actual chord, uh, you you have this resolution, which is a very satisfying feeling, um, and and, and it, it's it's this understanding that you know that which was in disorder is now in order. Um, so when you have a piece like that, you've got that dissonance intentionally used for that. It's what paints the picture because you have this conflict, you have this inner struggle of the sufferings that you're going through, and then it transitions into you know that that last part of the song, which is part of the chorus again. So um, you know I think it's beautifully used, um, and, and it's a similar structure and a still similar theme. It's going to come up again, and I'll um you know in in future episodes, uh, for example, the next episode we do, I can think of a song where that would be um uh very prominent so uh, as we go through episodes i'll try to highlight that point where that shows up to kind of indicate the listeners you know like keep an eye out for this listen, listen to how this musical style um enhances the themes and the lyrics of the music Wonderful, Sam. I'm glad we have your musical expertise for explanations just like that. And it's a, it's a brilliant part of the song we just talked about. Okay, my second suggestion is the end, the very last 30 seconds of The Wings of the Morning, which I'll, I'll play now. I, I love that ending of the song. To me, it, it leaves the listener in this peaceful state. It's like you've you've exhaled 
and you've embraced that God is with you, that, you know, wherever you are, God's presence is there with you. And so like the, the peacefulness and the beauty of the song ending so quietly and beautifully, I think matches the, the takeaway lesson of the song. I, so I love the ending of The Wings of the Morning. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, again, that just shows not only to, you know, to Dan's uh, composition ability, but also to the choir itself, you know, to be able to, yeah. uh, to be able to read the music and to have the practice uh, and, and the ability to understand, okay, uh, you know, songs aren't just sung at one tempo and one volume all the time. And, and, you know, that happens, you know, you know, when you have hymns sung at, you know, memorial service, for example, you get that a lot, which is fine. It's not downplaying that. But what you, um, you know, when you have, you know, talented singers, uh, you know, people who have sung in high school choirs or what have you, um, you've, you're going to have people who have the musical intelligence to realize, okay, we're going to, we're going to, you know, come off this. And instead of just trying to end every song with a bang, you've, you've got this, okay, we're going to, we're going to come off it slowly and leave it for something for the listener to meditate on rather than to just be satisfied with this climatic sort of finish. Cause not yeah, every absolutely. Yeah. It's a beautiful way to end the song. All right. My third and final suggestion is of course, and you've mentioned it is that in, I seek my brethren, that transition from the verse to the chorus where there's no break or pause or breath. And it's just this seamless transition and the notes are beautiful. So I'm going to play now sort of like the, the end of a verse into the chorus and you just hear how well it works in the rhyming. It's, it's just such a great song. It's, it's just such a great way to end the camp hymn. And the, the rhyming of the words that rhyme with seek at the end of the verses and how it transitions, I actually wrote down the three different verses because I think they're it's beautifully written. So the first verse, it reads, we must show mercy and love, comfort the sick, lift up those who are weak, I seek my brethren. Then the second verse, we strive to faithfully work, patiently wait, Serve with the spirit meek, I seek my brethren. And the third one, which is my favorite one actually, is in all the things that we think, things that we do, and in the things we speak, I seek my brethren. And then in, in the fourth verse, it repeats the line from the first verse. It, it, it's just brilliant to me. I think it's a, it's a great tie into the lessons. It's good work. And the music, it's wonderful. <clears throat> Yeah, it's very good wordplay. Uh, it's exactly that, and you know, having having words that aren't just there to fill the um, the metric of the song, words that are just there to like, you know, it, it's nice to hear words that are thoughtfully chosen. Yeah, and, yeah, they're not and, they're not just thrown in there, right? Yeah, they're not. It's not, it's not just somebody who you know just took out a rhyming dictionary and and just you know threw all that out there. It was actually, you know, it's very meaningful. Yeah. It's, it's musically seamless and it's also lyrically seamless. It's fantastic. Okay. Uh, so Sam, what do you think is the best moment? Oh, I mean, I mean, I, I've, I've got my bias. Of course. I think the as gold moment is, 
is is phenomenal. Um, yeah. You know the the and, and I think it's also partly because um, you know both both for Asgold and Wings in the Morning they're not as heavily played as I Seek My Brethren, and it's it's one of those instances where repetition, while you know hearing a song over and over again is great. And, and not to say that any song is played out necessarily, but when you're familiar with something, you don't always appreciate uh, the little subtleties that that emerge. So, you know, being able to hear songs that you don't, he, you know, that aren't considered as much in in the uh, rotation of you know quality Christadelphian music like As Gold, like As Wings in the Morning, um, you, you get to better appreciate um, the nuances for that. So, I mean, for me, it's As Gold. Yeah, I think it is for me too. I remember that the first year I had this cantata or the CD in my car, I would always chime in and sing during that part. So we're going to give it to the, that, that little like acapella portion of Asgold. I'm in. All right. Our next award is the best line of narration. I, I have two suggestions. I'll give you my first one, Sam. And this one, I'll admit, I had never paid much attention to this particular line but when I listen to it now in the context in today of the coronavirus pandemic, it just stuck out and struck me. So it's the end of the first narration. There's this line. So in these last days, we must trust that the most high ruleth in the kingdoms of men. And though the world is in turmoil, the statutes of our God endure for endless days. Now, that's, that's a great line of narration to tie in with Mightier Far and the connection to Psalm 93, how God is mightier than the, the wind and the waves of the world roaring. But hearing it now in the context of the coronavirus pandemic, and maybe hearing it way back in 2002 in the context of the September 11th attacks, like that, that line of narration really stuck out to me and was very, very potent, actually. Oh, and, and Did that- you have any suggestions, Sam? I mean, I love, I, I love that, and it's just to that point in general that that God seeks to be a, you know, to to remind people that He is present, irrespective of how present people feel that He is. God's presence is not dictated by how present we feel He is, um, mm. um, and and that was sort of a reminder in those times, and we have these times like that. We have the the nine eleven attacks. We have the uh, COVID nineteen pandemic. We have these moments in our lives which you know shake us to our core, um, and, and they remind us of a truth which has been there all along, which is that God is present. Uh, God is present when we are anxious. God is present when we are not anxious. God is present when things are, you know, unstable in the world. And God is present when things are right in the world, or at least they feel that way. Um, that is that is sort of a reminder for that. So thinking about that, you know, talking about, you know, the most high ruling is a reminder that that God's hand is stabilizing a world that's riddled with earthquakes, um, that is that is sort of the over one of the, one of the prominent themes of scripture, and it's a you know powerful reason that we are to lean on Him, to trust in Him, to to hope in Him, and to let Him guide our paths because uh, He is that stabilizing presence that that we need before we are off kilter. For sure, for sure. All right, so my my second suggestion comes from the the final narration, 
which leads into the camp hymn. And so it's kind of right in the middle of the narration. This line reads, may we in our walk seek our brethren, not serving ourselves, but others, that when our Lord Jesus Christ shall arise as the light of the morning, we might finally be changed by the healing in his wings. I love that line. It, it connects the theme of the camp and the cantata with some beautiful illustrations from Malachi 4. To me, it's, it's a great summary. It's the best encapsulation of the message of the Joseph cantata and leaves listeners with a vision of the future. So, so Sam, did you have any other suggestions or do you have a, a preference between one of those two? I mean, I like, I like the first one quite a bit. Now, I mean, the second one, of course, you know, being able to, you know, to summarize the camp in, in a few words is great because, um, you know, even a few words when you unravel them can be far more profound than just the words of themselves. Um, and being able to, you know, to summarize such a complex story of, you know, dealing with betrayal and redemption and suffering and salvation. These are all, you know, themes which are part of the human condition and be able to, you know, to boil it down that at the end of the day, no matter our condition, our goal is to, you know, like, like that passage alludes to in Philippians to, you know, to empty ourselves of self-interest and to fill ourselves with the mind of Christ. Yeah, I, that's a that's a good way to to sum it up. I think I'm probably going to go with the second one too to to encapsulate that the message of the camp in the final narration. Okay, Sam. Before we get to the two most important awards to conclude the podcast, let's throw a little bit of spice into the podcast here and go to the wildest opinion award. Now, I have one, but maybe I'd like to hear yours first. I mean, or do you have a wild opinion, Sam, about this cantata? My opinions aren't terribly wild. I'm, I, I don't have a lot of context to inform me about this one, so I, okay. I can't go too crazy on it, but I'm happy to hear yours. Okay, here's my wild opinion, Sam. This cantata must be redone. I was actually going to ask, like, I think a remaster would be, yeah. would be very appropriate. I, now, I would like to see, like, an alumni sort of... Okay, well, here's where it gets wilder. Is that I, I do think it would be too difficult logistically to gather everyone back. You know, a lot of the people that were there in 2002, they have kids now. They live all over the world. It would be too difficult to regather everyone. I'm saying Manitoulin Youth Conference should completely redo, without changing anything, start to finish the entire Joseph experience. The 20-year anniversary, 2022, it should be the topic of Joseph, the workbook on Joseph, the cantata on Joseph, and recorded again with youthful voices, with, uh, with the highest caliber of modern recording technology, because this cantata is incredible. The music is wonderful. We need a high audio quality performance with newer, with the new young people. And have them redo the workbook and live those lessons again, I think would be fantastic. So my opinion is bring back Joseph in all its forms. <laughs> I'd be I, I'd be fine with that. I mean, you think about it, 20 years. I mean, the people that were 15, you know, like even 14, 15 years old are gonna be like, you know, like like me. We're gonna be in our mid-30s. Most are most are grown out of that and or not grown out of it necessarily, but you know you know, felt like they've grown out of it, started their own families. I mean, 
you could probably even fill a decent number of those spots in the camp with children of the alumni from yeah yeah and you could redo everything it would be a new generation i I support it. Okay, uh, let's get to the the top two awards here, the most meaningful ones. The next one is the the top lesson of the cantata. When you listen to it now, what do you take away with? Or when you heard it at the time, how did it change you and affect you? I've got a few suggestions here. My first one is it comes out of Judah's confession that we see in Judah over the course of his life that he learned through the adversity he faced and matured eventually to develop that self-sacrificing love where he offered himself instead of Benjamin and for the sake of his father. And I think the song, Judah's Confession, in this cantata really captures that that lesson. And you hear, yeah, yeah, Judah made this change. And I feel like that that's a, a lesson that I think on, on listening to it again all these years later, I feel it was an underrated lesson. Number two I have is the lesson of God consciousness. And we've discussed this at length already. This is what comes out of the wings of the morning and Psalm 139, this lesson of God's presence being everywhere in our lives. And this was one I remember hearing a lot of people talk about in the year that followed in late 2002, early 03. In the CYC, a lot of the young people, this this lesson was really imprinted on them to, to take God's presence with them every day of their lives. And it really strikes you in several of these songs in the lesson of Joseph when you hear it. And I'll save my third one for later. I'll ask you, Sam, if you had any others, or what do you think maybe was the top lesson of the cantata? I mean, I, I think, you know, it, it comes down a lot to when Joseph was talking to his brothers at the end of his life. Mm. And Joseph, you know, his brothers all said, you know, when, when, Jacob died. He said, make sure, you know, you forgive them. And, you know, Joseph, Joseph talks about the sufferings that he went through. Right. And it's, it's, um, you know, he, at, you know, God meant it on, you know, whatever evil and whatever calamity falls in our lives, God meant it unto good to bring it to pass, to save many people. Um, and, and that's so much of our condition that the things that we feel are disastrous in our lives, um, the, the traumas we go through, the loss we go through, you know, the, the just wondering how can I get through another day of work, school, loneliness, depression, isolation, you know, family issues, whatever the, you know, like there's, there's myriad issues that you could bring up here um, that we could see like, man, all this terrible stuff is happening. And, and right there in that theme is, you know, the things that we feel sometimes are evil against us. God means it unto good to, to yeah. bring us to salvation yeah. Um, and that's the theme of, that's one of the big themes of Joseph's life. And that's the theme of a life of a disciple too, because nobody, uh, nobody is removed from the bitterness of this life, from the bitterness of the condition we all have. Um, nobody gets that, but we do have opportunities if we listen, if we seek God, if we try to embody Christ 
to realize that the things that we feel could be evil against us are meant for our for not just our good but for good but are are part of the process of god manifesting his character in the world yeah it's well said and you think about joseph's life you know at age 17 he's sold off into slavery but still kept his faith and then he's thrown into an egyptian prison falsely accused still kept his faith still kept his head up never forgot about god all of this adversity he faced, he never lost his faith, kept God on his mind. And then, as you said, could look back at it years later and appreciate the wisdom and the grand plan that God had in mind. And it's a powerful lesson for all of us to remember and to think on and to look back at our lives in a similar way. So that's a great lesson. Uh, one more I'll suggest is, of course, the, the camp theme of seeking your brethren and of bearing in mind the needs of others, looking to help other people to work and support the ecclesia and our brothers and sisters in Christ and our family and friends. I think it was an especially potent lesson for young people. At that time, you've met a bunch of new friends. You've got your CYC to go back to. It was really an, an inspirational thing. It was really a motivating force for the, the region of the Great Lakes, this Midwest region that was largely that largely composed of the camp, like th this song, that message came back to us. And I think it, for that, that the year after conference, it was a driving force. And, uh, and for that reason, it's probably gonna be my, my winner, I'll suggest is the Seeking Your Brethren lesson. But uh, what, so what do you think about that, Sam? I, I mean, it's, of course, you know, the theme verse that was chosen. Um, and, and it brings up one of the, uh, you know, not just in, you know, the cantata, um, but the lesson, the workbook lesson, and the camp spirit itself was one of kind of showing people that the, the, the things you're doing at youth conference, the things you did that week, the things you, the things you do afterwards are, it's sort of the trial run for ecclesial life. You get to be part of something so much bigger than yourself. And you had all this time to, you know, you, you had these time to build relationships, to look after people at the camp during the week. Um, and then you had this opportunity. It's like now, now this week has passed. What are you going to do with it? Yeah. Uh, before we go to the last category, I have a true story about this song and its lesson. So the next year, and at the Ruth conference in 2003, I got up early one morning, maybe Monday or Tuesday morning. And I went early to shower at 7, 7.30 a.m. Because back then you had to go early if you wanted to have like a decent five to 10 minute shower. And I got in and there was no line, but there were two people already in the shower. There were two stalls. And so I was just waiting. I was the only person in line. In the shower was Dan Wilton in one and Ken Stiles in the other. And they were singing, I Seek My Brethren. And so I was just sitting there in the line listening to them. And after they finished singing, I, I think it was D Dan Wilton who wrote the workbook or co-wrote it like, the previous year. He said something, oh, yeah, a wonderful campaign that you know Dan put together. And, and Uncle Ken said this, and it's sort of been like etched in my brain because I never forgot the quote. He said, I have it written down here. Uh, he said, that song went forth like a banner to the community. And 
a year later, I could realize how true that was. That song inspired so much interaction and involvement and care for our brothers and sisters and amongst the young people. It really was like a mission statement of a song at that point in time. And so the song absolutely achieved a, a wonderful purpose. And I've never forgotten that song. The effect that it had such that a year later, two grown men were singing it in the shower together. Like that, that's how powerful the song was. Okay, so our last category is the legacy of the cantata. And I've got two suggestions for you. Uh, the first was what we talked about at the beginning of the podcast. And that really is the beginning of this run of cantatas. This was sort of like the, the first one, the trial first episode or first uh, cantata of, of this long series. It set the standard, set the template, and led to nearly two decades now of incredible conference cantatas. What do you think of that one, Sam? I think the Joseph cantata is to the rest of the cantatas what Iron Man was to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I'll take it. Okay, yeah, yeah. It, if maybe if it had failed, would we have these cantatas today? Who knows? Maybe we're, it's kind of a silly question to ask. But yeah, this went so well and was so powerful. They, they had to keep doing it. Like it, they, they saw the good, the, the effectiveness that it had. Uh, my second idea was just the, the this, as I said, the mission statement of "I seek my brethren" and the power of that lesson at that time for those immediate years following was so strong. And even to this day, here's another fun fact, a true story. At last year's Detroit area Sunday school play, this was one of the songs the kids sang. I think it actually was the last song of, of the Sunday school play entertainment performance. And even the, the kids, some of them had it memorized. Some of the 10, 11, 12 year olds had this song memorized. And so even to a whole new generation, this song, its lesson is hitting again and kids today love it. So I feel like the, the legacy of the song and lesson of I Seek My Brethren may be the, the, the true legacy of this camp and of the cantata. Yeah, I, I think it's, you know, it's, it's the theme that really needs to, um, you know, be present in our minds because we, we have this, we, we understand through the Bible that God has this great love for us, that he sent his son to die for us. And we walk in the light and we show this love by loving our brethren. Yeah. And, and if we say we love God and hate our brethren, we are a liar and the truth is not in us. Uh, so seeking our brethren, loving our brethren, looking out for their betterment, um, th those are you know, part and parcel of the, the, the life of a believer. Um, and, and like, like I think you said, quoted from Ken, I mean, uh, it is a banner. Um, it is a mission statement. It's one that you can wear proudly. It's one that you can, you know, you know, you could say it to anybody. It's like, I seek my brethren. I seek, you know, to help everybody I can work towards the kingdom of God with, uh, you know, trembling and, and, and fear and, and reverence. Um, that is a powerful mission statement and it's, it's one you can't, uh, downplay. 
Yeah, it, it, I think it comes across here as the central lesson of Joseph and of this cantata. Okay, so that's all the awards. I think we've had some really good discussion here, Sam. Hopefully, if, uh, if anyone listens to this podcast is inspired to go out and listen to the cantata again, have it transport you back to 2002. If you were somebody who was at the camp or if you haven't heard it before, I think you'll be very much pleased to enjoy the message and songs of this cantata. It's really an exceptional, exceptional work that was put together, a labor of love and has done so much good. So that's it for our podcast on this cantata for the 2002 Joseph year. Uh, up next week, Lord willing, will be the podcast for 2003 on Ruth, which was my first year. And Sam, I have a lot of thoughts. I am very, very passionate about what is my favorite cantata, the 2003 Ruth cantata. So we'll discuss that next week. And I'll also mention again, if anyone out there would like to join us, be a guest for an episode, if you have a favorite year and you want to talk about it, we'd love to have guests on. So feel free to reach out to Sam or I to, uh, to join the podcast for an episode or two. Any final thoughts, Sam, or are you okay? I think I'm pretty solid, Mike. I'm looking forward to uh, next week. This is a great discussion, and we've got a lot more uh, years ahead of us to talk about. We've got a lot more history and a lot more context to kind of share, and uh, I think this is the start of a great experience in introducing people to, uh, you know, the wonders of these, uh, you know, old cantatas, which uh, really highlight key facets of our hope. So thank you very much, Sam. I really appreciate you doing this with me. So let's go out listening to I Seek My Brethren. Uh -huh.